is it that we find ourselves surrounded by such complexity, such elegance? The genes of you and me, the genes of you and me, are all made of DNA. We're all made of the same chemical DNA. Hello, you're listening to DNA Today, a genetics podcast and radio show. I'm your host, Kira Deneen. DNA Today informs on what's happening in the genetic world. During my broadcast, I educate you, the public, on genetic and health topics through news and interviews. Guests include genetic counselors like today, researchers, doctors, patient advocates, and professors. My guest today is Erica Ramos, president of the National Society of Genetic Counselors, also known as NSGC. She builds products, programs, and strategy in the genomics and genetic counseling arenas with expertise in rare diseases and predictive genome sequencing. Erica is currently director and head of the clinical business development for Geisinger National Precision Health. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Kira. It's great to talk to you. Definitely. And before we get into a lot of the NSGC information and kind of getting into the professional status survey and other things, I'd love to hear your quick elevator pitch of what genetic counseling is and a couple of the roles that genetic counselors have. Yeah, so genetic counselors generally are healthcare providers who use their advanced training in genetics and counseling and science and medicine to help patients and families look at how their genetic makeup might impact their health. Um, That's sort of the big picture description. But what we really do in in the day-to-day is to help people take information about all of the different components that impact health, genetics, environment, even things like diet or nutrition, family history, and take all of that and really synthesize it into one specific Um, set of suggestions or set of directions that will help them take more control over their medical care and take more control over their health care. We want to really make sure that people don't just have data um, or facts about their health care medicine, but that they actually have the resources to turn the information they have into action that can improve their health. And genetic counselors are really in so many different subfields that it's just there's new subfields kind of added. What are some of the roles that genetic counselors have in some of these different subfields? Absolutely. Um, I did my training 20 years ago. And when I tell people um, that when I graduated, I saw one one cancer patient for one day. Um, during my entire two-year training. And that's that wasn't shocking because, to hear. Isn't it? <laughs> and the reason that's so shocking for those who may not be as familiar is that, A, now it's just a huge thing regardless because of things like Angelina Jolie and advances in the testing. But we now have a huge percentage. It's really one of the largest percentages of genetic counselors who specialize in cancer or see at least some cancer patients in their care. So that's how different this field is now than it was even 20 years ago. And that change is continuing. I think we're seeing huge expansions in using genetics and therefore genetic counselors in cardiology, um, in neurology, in pharmacogenetics. So looking at how you respond to different drugs and medications, 
Um, and then the area that I mostly work in now and what I worked in in my past job is really starting to think about taking the genetic information that we've been able to successfully use to identify high-risk people after they get sick um, or because they have a family history of disease and start looking at how we do that in the general population so that we really have confidence that we're not missing anybody who could benefit from this type of genetic testing. So I think really there's no question that we're going to see genetic counselors in every single part of healthcare, including internal medicine and primary care practices. We're getting there. I mean, things are changing so quickly that I'm sure a couple years from now, this would be a very different conversation. When did your interest in genetic counseling start? What's your background with that? So my background, I had a molecular, a cellular and molecular biology degree. And like many, I think when I was going to school, I'd never heard about genetic counseling. And I was happily applying to PhD programs in human genetics because I thought that was the next logical step. I knew I didn't want to go to medical school, and I really liked the genetics and the molecular biology pieces, so research and PhD seemed like the right path. And very fortunately, um, I was interviewing at the University of Michigan, and they happen to have one of the older genetic counseling programs. And so back in, this was would have been 98, when I was applying to programs, um, I got a chance to talk to Diane Baker, who is a luminary in the genetic counseling profession and was the program director in Michigan at the time, and really just got to be fascinated very, very quickly with what this field meant, um, what genetic counselors did. And even though it was very early on for me <laughs> in learning about it, and even in terms of how we act in, in healthcare now, I really liked the combination of medicine with the science. And like I said, I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. And I'd been told many, many times, don't go to medical school unless you really want to be a doctor. Um, so it just seemed like a really good fit for me. So I took kind of a, an abrupt left turn, uh, spent a year getting prerequisites and making sure that I was a good candidate for pr the programs and learned more about genetic counseling. I shadowed a genetic counselor in my, in my area. Um, and then I started my program the next year. And so a lot of people go through that experience of finding out about genetic counseling when they're either pursuing another field or kind of track of study, or they're finding out late in college and then they're scrambling for those prerequisites. So part of what we're trying to do and what NSGC is trying to do is to be educating people so they find out earlier and can set themselves up to be admitted into a genetic counseling grad school. What is the goal of NSGC in general? So generally, NSGC is the professional organization that supports um, all of the certified genetic counselors, uh, genetic counseling students, um, pretty much everybody who ties into our field across the country. And one of our most important roles is providing continuing education to genetic counselors across all areas of genetics and genomics to make sure that they're always at the leading edge of what's really a very rapidly evolving field. Um, 
our big concern there is making sure that our patients are benefiting from our highly trained and expert workforce so that they get the best possible uses of genetics in their healthcare and best possible outcomes in their health when they see a genetic counselor. Um, NSGC also does a lot of work around ensuring people can find us. So we want to make sure that if you're out there and you're interested in seeing a genetic counselor, if you have questions that a genetic counselor might help to answer, they can go to findageneticcounselor.com, which is hosted by NSGC. Um, and that's a great way to find people in your area or uh, by telephone who can work with you and your family on a specific issue. Um, we also educate the public uh, via a website called aboutgeneticcounselors.com. Um, that's also great for potential students or future genetic counselors. And we actually host uh, and, and created a Genetic Counselor Awareness Day. And this year that'll take place on November 8th. We just had our first one last year. Um, and it was a great opportunity for genetic counselors across the country and really hopefully across the world to share locally what they do, how they serve patients, and how they serve their communities. It was exciting to see, especially on social media, of everybody sharing and being able to say, this is what I do, and this is who I educate. This is my role in this company or organization. So uh, November 8th is another day that we can look forward to. And something else I wanted to highlight that you mentioned, findageneticcounselor.com. There is an option on there where you can say, looking for genetic counselors that welcome student contact. And so I found that to be very helpful as I was preparing to get genetic counseling, job shadowing, and be able to kind of boost up the resume a little bit and understand the genetic counseling field a little more. So those are awesome resources in the aboutgeneticcounselors.com also has a lot of um, simulated patient sessions that you can watch and so many great tools. Absolutely. And, you know, genetic counselors, I think generally one of the reasons I love working in this profession and with genetic counselors is that we really just have an incredibly engaged and excited, enthusiastic community about all areas of our field. So I think generally you'll find pretty universally that genetic counselors love to talk to potential students. There are a lot of different programs that are starting to um, create days where you can come in and shadow them or learn more about counseling. Um, and as a Twitter junkie or a, a newly formed Twitter junkie, I should say over the past few years, um, I always also encourage students to reach out to us via social media. Um, there's a hashtag GC chat that most genetic counselors will post to. Um, I actually have a list on my page of as many genetic counselors as I could find on Twitter. And so it's a great way to really hear what our profession is doing and what we're thinking about, what issues we have, and just to connect and really network with all of the different genetic counseling professionals around. And GC Chat is great because you see conversations of genetic counselors of bringing up points that, you know, as an incoming genetic counselor, I didn't even consider before of like, wow, that's an issue that you could face or that you're a difficulty you're dealing with. So it's really cool to be part of the community and seeing those conversations and not even be a genetic counselor yet. So it's a really cool tool. And there are so many genetic counselors active on Twitter, especially. I think that's kind of the hub. And I know my gene council has a Twitter list of like 500 genetic counselors or genetic counseling students. So um, there's a lot of people to find and start following on there. Absolutely. 
Now, what is your role specifically as the president of NSGC? So as president of NSGC, really one of my major roles is that I'm the primary spokesperson for the organization. Um, So particularly when we talk to media or when we have to write something on behalf of NSGC that goes out to the public, um, it's really my responsibility primarily uh, to help to support that or to actually be the one who's doing those interviews and talking to those people. And, you know, that really to me is is probably one of the biggest, what I find one of the biggest and sometimes most challenging parts of my, of my role, but also one of the most exciting, um, particularly because we are in a world of such quick change in genetics. It's great to be able to have different venues to go out and talk to people about it. And we have a phenomenal um, communications organization and a partner that we work with called PCI, uh, that is our PR and, and communications. And they've really done a fantastic job of helping us get the voice out for NSGC. Um, and to the point where we're talking to all sorts of different media outlets, different magazines, different websites, everything from the very technical um, to things like Self Magazine or Women's Day, or I recently did an interview with the Better Business Bureau about genetic uh, direct-to-consumer testing and privacy. So any opportunity that we have to get out the word about genetic counselors and genetic counseling and start to make genetic counseling more of a household word, I'm all on board with that. And doing that, you're reaching so many different audiences of you're not just going with, oh, science magazines or things like that. You're really expanding out to different target markets to say, because so many people can benefit from genetic counseling and it's getting that word out there so people know it's an option. Yeah. And one of the really great things that I've seen, um, particularly over the past several years, um, is more and more patients sharing their experiences with genetic counseling and really helping to put some clarity around what that experience is like from the patient perspective. And I think that's a really important perspective for anyone who's considering counseling to really understand, um, to know what we are and aren't going to do in a counseling session, to know that genetic counseling doesn't always mean you have to have genetic testing, because there's a lot of people who maybe feel that they're not ready to take an extra step of diving a little bit deeper into their genetic makeup. Um, You know, to know that if you do direct to consumer testing, you don't necessarily have to talk to us before you do it, but you could. And if you didn't and you want to now, you can do that, too. So there's lots of there's so many different ways that we interact with patients of all different for all different reasons that it's really helpful to hear from the people who go through the process and not just from people like me who actually, you know, hold the sessions and, you know, talk about that, about doing it. It's really the people who go through it. Hearing from patient advocates, I think is so huge to say, like, these are the people that are actually experiencing it, like you're saying. And I've had a couple people on the show before that go through their experience of different genetic testing for a variety of different things, whether it be hereditary cancer syndrome, or a rare disease or something in that area. And it's really eye opening to hear their experience. And especially for those that have gone through genetic testing but didn't have a genetic counselor involved and them saying, now that I know about genetic counseling, I really wish I had done that or had that opportunity because my experience would have been so much different and a little bit more clear. 
Definitely. And that's another great group, you know, bringing up patient advocates just also reminds me for those, you know, for people out there who are thinking about being genetic counselors or want to learn more, um, you know, especially, you know, again, via Twitter, there are some really fantastic people who can help to educate you about that patient perspective. And the reality is the more that we know about the people we serve across all different areas, all different types of, for all different types of indications and medical conditions, and from all different cultures and backgrounds, it really just helps us be the best that we can be and do our jobs the best. And so it's incredibly valuable to hear all of those perspectives. And changing gears a little bit, what is the biggest challenge that you think the genetic counseling field is facing right now? And how do you see the NSGC is addressing this or kind of looking to address it? So the biggest things that really come up are not going to be a surprise to any genetic counselors. Um, The first thing that comes to mind for almost everybody is our workforce. And although we're growing very quickly, um, genetic counselors have actually doubled in size in the past 10 years, and we're expected to double in size almost again in the next 10 years. Um, And we, you know, but, but the reality is that the genetics world is exploding as well. And so one of the things that we need to make sure we do is in addition to making sure that our existing genetic counselors are up to speed on all of the changes, that we start to recruit more and more people from more and more diverse backgrounds into our profession so that we can serve the greater population for more reasons. Um, so that's something we're, we're working on extensively. And a big part of that is around our collaborations with the other professional genetic counseling organizations. So there are organizations that focus on um, credentialing the uh, training programs and making sure the training programs have the quality of training that we expect. We have organization that does the board certifications. We have an organization that is the program directors of these of these uh, training programs, and all of us really need to collaborate and work together in 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 sort of maximize our own parts in that chain, so that we can help bring more people into our field and continue to help us grow. Um, the other big thing, of course, is our recognition from as professionals by payers, including the federal government. Um, Genetic counselors are currently not recognized as providers by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, um, which means that people who are insured by Medicare um, cannot have genetic counselors provide them with services and have us be reimbursed for those services. And that's a big problem because Medicare is a huge (laughs) insurer and a huge payer across the country. Um, And it really keeps people from accessing the services that they need. So that's a very active endeavor for us as well. Um, We actually are going through a really, to me, interesting and fun, but a very important process right now, which is our strategic planning. Every three years, we completely revisit our strategic plan. um, And we're doing that this year. So very soon, within the next couple of months, we'll have our, our strategic plan finalized for 2019 through 2021. And all of these things and more will be addressed in terms of how what, what our priorities are and what we're going to dedicate in terms of staff time and volunteer time and financial resources to get those things done. And I would imagine that as you're sitting down to do this, part of making these decisions is looking at the professional status survey that came out for 2018. 
Absolutely. Yeah, one of the biggest things that we love to do is really to hear from genetic counselors. And I'm a pretty data driven person around things like this. So I, you know, we're very fortunate to have, again, a very engaged genetic counseling uh, community. And so we get a lot of really important data. Um, I believe this year was well over 2000 people who participated, about 2500 people who participated in the professional status survey. And that just gives us a much clearer perspective on what genetic counselors are experiencing across the country and across the world, not just what we think they're experiencing. And that's a pretty impressive number looking at that there's 4,600 genetic counselors in North America. So you're looking at a really large percentage of the total genetic counselors taking part in this survey. Yeah, like I said, it's... I say over and over, I can't imagine a more engaged and active community than what we have. And by having genetic counselors be so engaged, it really helps NSGC um, meet all of the, the needs and expectations that genetic counselors and our members have, and also helps us to think about new ways that we can start to solve some of the challenges that genetic counselors are bringing to our attention. And knowing all of this, it's not that surprising, but still very impressive that 94% of respondents from the survey said they were satisfied with the profession. 94%, that's really, really high. Um, What are some of the positive aspects of being a genetic counselor that you think led to such a high satisfaction rate for the career? Yeah, some of the things that I see people and hear people talking about over and over Um, One is that, of course, we are in a very rapidly growing field, and so that gives people a lot of opportunity to explore different ways that our genetic counseling skill sets can be used to benefit patients um, at any point in the process. Um, Before I joined my current, before I started my current role, I was working for a biotech company that actually built the sequencing technology to do DNA sequencing. And that's about as early upstream as you can get if you're going to talk about patient care. But when I started thinking a lot about, you know, why does it help to have genetic counselors in biotech companies? Why does it help to have us in clinical labs? Why does it help to have us in sales and marketing roles? And then, of course, we know that it's very important to have us in the clinic seeing patients. And each of those for each of those professions or each of those applications, what we're doing is really bringing the voice of the patient and the voice of other clinicians and our fellow genetic counselors all the way upstream so that we can build and create the best products, the best tests, and build them in a clinically responsible and and appropriate way. So to me, that's, I think, one of the things that I hear a lot about people talking about is they like that we're now moving into so many different areas um, that they really get a chance to explore a lot. The other thing that I hear is that we are starting to make a lot of progress in terms of making genetic counselors more efficient, getting genetic counselors more support in their clinics, so administrative support, or some clinics will have assistants um, who help them do some of their genetic counseling tasks. And that just makes our jobs better. It helps us to stay in the clinic, face-to-face with patients where we're most needed and not trying to do a lot of things where our skill sets aren't as well used. And with all the genetic counselors we have and growing so rapidly, 
do we have enough to be meeting patient demand right now? So interestingly, we've done a couple of surveys about this. And while absolutely this is going to be specific to some areas of the country and also by specialty, in many, many areas of the country, we absolutely do have enough genetic counselors to support the current need. Now, what's important to know about that is that in every area, we're not always doing the best job as a medical community in identifying the right people to go to genetic counseling or genetic testing. So if we improve our ability to detect the right people in across the medical community and get them to genetic counselors, then we will need to continue to build more. Um, but one of the other things that will help that, in addition to growing our number of training programs, is you know making sure that we're getting paid for what we do so that we can hire more counselors um, and make sure that we can continue to reach out to different areas of the community. And telegenetics is another way that we've done that. And there's some you know nationwide telegenetics companies where people can really just be in the comfort of their home and reach out to a genetic counselor if there's not somebody directly in their area. And as you mentioned of looking at how genetic counselors are compensated, um, it's been increasing over the years of right now, an average full-time genetic counselor earns a salary of 88,000. How does this compare to other similar careers that have a master's level education that are in healthcare? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think certainly it's on the higher side, of course, especially in a, a country, excuse me, as diverse as the U.S. and with, um, you know, urban versus rural and all sorts of different things like that, that average is going to be a bit skewed depending on areas. Um, but compared to other sort of what we call like mid-level providers, so advanced practice nurses, um, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, we are compensated pretty highly. Um, there are some places where this is limited, and some of that is also impacted by our limited ability to bill when we see patients. So if you're not bringing a lot of money into a, a hospital system or institution, then it's hard to ask for more counselors or to ask for more money. Um, that can be one of the challenges. So certainly we, we expect that as we start to um, succeed in accomplishing some of these different federal and payer recognition efforts that will support higher salaries, particularly in the clinic and in academic medical centers, hospital centers, where there is some dependency on how much you bring into the center. And once that happens, then you're bringing much more into it in terms of services and what you're providing. So that makes sense for hospitals and other institutions and organizations to then bump up salaries a little bit more. Right. And, you know, our, we also know that our, you know, there is an aspect of supply and demand here um, with the growth of job opportunities. There is a lot more demand for genetic counselors in different places. And some of the ways that genetic counselors have been uh, hired in is by offering higher salaries. One of the things that I actually found really interesting that I think we're going to try to dig into a bit more in future uh, status surveys is that there are other benefits to working in academic centers. And I just joined an academic health center um, and I had never worked in one before and chatting with my colleagues, you know, learned that in some academic centers, 
they'll pay for college for your kids if you if you're working at that university. That's a huge um, salary bonus in a, a sense. Salary <laughs> bump. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. Um, you know, talking about things like retirement funds. Some universities have incredible contributions to retirement funds. And so I think it's it's really important that we start looking a little bit more deeply into benefits outside of just salary um, that will benefit that will help genetic counselors really have long term success, um, not only as they're starting, um, but throughout their careers. It's looking at that whole compensation package to see what you're getting. And sometimes they'll include things like uh, sending you to the NSGC conference for CEU credits and things like that. So there's a lot that goes into it. Definitely. It's a complicated thing to look at, but I'm starting to think more and more that we could get some interesting, we could share some interesting information that maybe people aren't as aware of around the benefits of working for academic institutions or hospitals um, compared to some of the industry positions that get talked about a lot. And NSGC, we've been talking about the Professional Status Survey of 2018, uh, but last year in 2017, you guys did a Member Benefits, Needs, and Satisfaction Survey. What kind of information did you gather from this? So this was looking at, we looked at about five to 700 people for each survey. And we were looking for, you know, number one, what matters to our members? What do they see as most important um, in terms of their professional needs? And the second really looked at what value they get from NSGC. So ideally, we want to match those two things up, right? We want to make sure that if people, if our members have needs, NSGC is doing things to meet those needs and that the member satisfaction with those, the, the way that we meet those needs is also high. Um, and we got really good results. So what we found um, was that genetic counselors told us that competitive salaries, um, education of healthcare providers about genetic counseling and genetic counselors, and then workforce were some of their issues of greatest importance. Um, and all of those are actually parts of our current strategic plan. So they're not only things that NSGC thinks are important, they're things that we've actually called out as part of our, as essential to our mission as an organization and that we're going to put our resources, including staff and financial resources, behind. Um, we also then looked at what we're doing to meet some of those things and where the value of NSGC lies. And we were told by our members that um, our annual conference is a high-value uh, member benefit for them, that the Journal of Genetic Counseling, which is the primary publish, uh, peer-reviewed publication for genetic counseling research is very important, and that our federal-level federal advocacy around things like recognition by CMS are really important. And again, all things that we find important, in fact, just a few weeks ago, maybe last week, um, we announced that we were uh, starting with a new publisher of the Journal of Genetic Counseling so that we really had the best possible ways to move genetic counseling research um, out to as many people as possible and really start to push that important, important topic in as many creative and, and innovative ways as possible. NSGC is certainly busy with all of these initiatives and everything Absolutely. that you produce for genetic counselors. You mentioned the annual NSGC conference. Um, I'm excited to be able to attend for the first time uh, November this year in Atlanta. 
what can genetic counselors and students like me expect if they haven't been to the conference before? Genetic counseling, you know, again, I've said it a, a bunch of times, is just such a rapidly growing field. We can't say um, it enough, honestly, because it changes. <laughs> it's, it, it, it definitely is. If, if there's anything consistent, it's that it's changing. <laughs> yes. The only constant is change. That's right. And so to me, the thing that I've just been, especially I would say in the last like five or six years, is really our education committee, and again, because members think the conference is such an important component, NSGC has put a lot of energy into making the conference better and better every year, making sure people get to maximize the education that they, uh, the, the continuing education that they get, and really also have time to connect with other NSGC members. You know, as much as we all need the education piece, it's also really important for us to be able to build and maintain networks across our profession that also help us do our jobs better. Um, and so to me, I think really one of the big strengths this year, and I have to say, I, I already went through the program and had started highlighting things that I thought was really cool, um, probably way more than I would be able to go to, but it's all really great. Um, some of the things that really jumped out at me, though, when I looked at the program this year is that it's really supporting genetic counselors staying on the leading edge, not just in the te on the technical side in terms of the medical components or genetic testing offerings, but also in terms of the counseling and the psychosocial aspects of our job and how we work with patients. So, you know, just before the conference for the short, the short courses um, or pre-conference symposia, they changed the name at some time during my tenure here, um, there's a, a session about motivational interviewing, which was uh, highlighted a couple of times last year and really, really interesting way to work with patients to really get to the core of what they're doing, why they're doing it and what they need from us. Um, there's at the same, you know, probably right down the hall, there's a session on polygenic risk for breast cancer. And it's actually called Ahead of the Curve. And I would completely agree. This is something that's just starting to launch. But I suspect we're going to see these types of things in clinic more and more because there's a lot of interest in figuring out how to use genetics to better assess the risks for complicated, complex diseases like high blood pressure or uh, diabetes. So definitely polygenic risk scores are going to be con continue to be a thing in our future. Um, during the conference, a couple of the things that jumped out at me, there's a session on uh, genetic counseling and LGBTQ patients. So really making sure that our counselors feel prepared and educated um, to, to provide good culturally competent care across the spectrum um, of different patients. Um, I'll also pitch a session that I've been, had been part of for the past three years um, and I'm a big fan of, which is about bioinformatics and new development in testing and bioinformatics. So really making sure genetic counselors understand the data and the process that goes into your genetic testing. <laughs> um, and so they know what's coming out. Um, there's also, and this is a trend that I think we've also started seeing and I absolutely love um, there's going to be two artists that are presenting at different times during the conference. Um, one is actually a recording artist named Shantae Khan, and uh, she's talking about uh, her personal or her personal uh, experiences with Huntington's disease, uh, and will be featured on the first day. 
And then there's also an artist uh, who's a playwright and performer that's talking about um, having a hereditary cancer risk and her experiences with that. So it really covers a very broad spectrum and um, we get to see how genetics and genetic counselors have the potential to touch so many different types of people in so many different ways um, and make sure that we're doing it as well as possible. Um, and then the last two things I will pitch, because I'm a little biased on these two. <laughs> Give them <laughs> the to us. <laughs> is our State of the Society address. And the reason that I encourage everyone to come to that is not because I will be the one talking, but because we're really going to talk about all the things that we've done over the year and really go more into detail about our strategic plan for the next three years. So that's really a way for our members to know what's coming. Um, and then right after that will be uh, my really great friend, Amy Sturm, who is our incoming president, and she'll be doing her incoming presidential address. So that's, you know, I get a little bit of chills thinking back to last year when I was up on the stage in good ways and in bad. <laughs> and I'm really excited to hear Amy's vision for uh, the next years and, and how she kind of perceives our profession and what's coming. That's awesome. And she's been on the show before for those that want to uh, learn more about her and cardiac genetics. Um, we had a good episode together, but I am just so excited for this conference and I want to attend all the things you're talking about. And I know I probably won't have time because they'll overlap, but um, those are some great things that genetic counselors and students can look forward to attending. And again, that's in Atlanta this year. So if you're in the area or you're going to fly in, um, definitely at least check it out and see if it's a good match for you. So thank you so much, uh, Erica Ramos, for coming on the show and sharing your expertise in genetic counseling along with what NSGC is, what it provides, and just everything you guys are involved in. It was absolutely a pleasure. It's always fun to talk about. It is. I could talk about this stuff for hours. I should extend my show if I have more time. <laughs> it's if, a dangerous ask, for sure. Yeah, definitely. If I could do this full time and just talk about genetic counseling, <laughs> I'd be set. Um, if you guys want to learn more, you can follow her on Twitter at eramossd, and nsgc.org has so much information, a lot of what we've been talking about, including um, the version of the professional status survey that is open to the public. There's a short summary. Um, and findageneticcounselor.com, we also talked about, and aboutgeneticcounselors.com. All of those links will be on dnapodcast.com for the blog post for this episode. We've been throwing a lot of information at you, so all the information will be on there. If you're on Twitter, you can check me out at DNA Podcast, and I'm on Instagram at DNA Radio. Any questions for the two of us can be sent to info at dnapodcast.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Join me next time to learn and discover new advances in the world of genetics. The genes of you and me, the genes of you and me, are all made of DNA. We're all made of the same chemical DNA.